Uh, I spend the first couple of weeks of January every year really, really conflicted because I have this love-hate relationship with New Year's. I, I remember as a kid, I always loved it uh, because New Year's Eve was one of those nights where none of the typical rules applied to you as a kid. Like you could eat and drink all kinds of crazy stuff that you weren't normally allowed to have in quantities that no human should ever consume ever. Uh, and, and then not only could you stay up way past your bedtime, um, but you could also go crazy and yell and scream at midnight and everybody was just into it. Like, and, and it wasn't just allowed, they expected it. Like they were mad if you didn't scream. They were mad if you didn't you know, participate and it was celebrated. And if you happened to fall asleep on New Year's Eve, people would wake you up so that you could go crazy and scream and then go back to, bo- go back to bed. And, and then especially in our state, like we light stuff off and we blow stuff up, you know, and just because America. And so the other night, like, we were celebrating, you know, East Coast New Year's, and then we were trying to, you know, f- figure out if we were going to go to bed, and it got a little bit later, and so uh, it was about 11, 15, 11, 30, and we got in bed, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to wait now, because I'm going to be barely falling asleep, and then midnight's going to come, and all these fireworks are going to go off, and it's going to wake me up, and, and Hansi was like, no, I'm going to go to bed, and so I waited up, and sure enough, right at midnight, she woke up, and she's like, you stupid people around us lighting fireworks woke me up. And I was like, I told you, you should have just stayed up with me. Uh, but, but like when I was growing up, like we didn't have the money for fireworks. And so we were like old school, like ghetto. So we would just take pots and pans and go out in the street and like bang them together. You know, talk about anybody ever do that. And you're just like, Whoa! and then you kind of look around like, why are we doing this? All right, let's go back inside. Uh, but beyond all of that stuff, though, when I was young, I didn't have the words or the vocabulary to articulate it. There was something really attractive to me about the opportunity every year to reset, to start over and begin again. And still to this day, every year, I'm, I'm drawn to that kind of sense, that, that kind of idea, that kind of, uh, of season in life. I can't help but arrive to every single January with a profound and sort of renewed sense of hope for all the possibilities that this year holds and all that God wants to do in our lives and in my life and in my family and in your life. And in fact, when you read the scriptures, like you begin to see over and over and over again from beginning to end that God loves beginnings, that he is the God of new beginnings, starting with Genesis and the very opening scene of God and humanity and all the way through the New Testament and the book of John, all over the place, like God is the God of beginnings and new beginnings. But, but while all of that is still true, and I, as I've gotten older, things have shifted. Like at some point, you realize you'd rather not wake up on New Year's Day with your body like in full rebellion because of all the stuff you ate the night before. And you'd rather like not kick off a new year regretting your decisions from the previous night to stay up later than you normally would or eat and drink stuff you normally wouldn't eat. And, but deeper than that and bigger than that, there have been lots of times where I've arrived at January 1st and just feel like, okay, yeah, it, it's a new year, but I'm the same old me, so now what? And so all of that stuff, positive and negative, all of that stuff is sort of swirling around for me inside every, every year around this time. Like I said, I have this love-hate thing. 
And so much of the conversation during this time of year is really all about inspiration and how, how, do, we, how do we get inspired to make those changes and do that stuff and, and you know, become better and become more. And, and I love inspiration. I, I've, I've gone through several, basically, if there's a personality profile assessment out there and, and all the stuff I've had to do, like I've done it, I've been evaluated, I've taken the test, I've had my leadership and my pastoring and my speaking and all that stuff critiqued and assessed and evaluated multiple different times. And all of them always come back where I'm really, really high, I rate, I rate really high on inspiration. I, I love inspiration. But the problem is that inspiration is not the same as transformation. And as we step into this year, no matter what you believe about God or Jesus or the church or the Bible, no matter what you brought with you from 2021, like I can tell you that God is wanting to transform your life in some way, that there's some pocket, some relationship, some part of your life that God is wanting to change and move you forward. I think so often we, we get stuck, especially this time of year, where we're, we're trying to find the products or the process that will help us become more. But honestly, I, I think the real question, the real issue is, what is the journey? What, what, what is the step? What, what, what is the path we need to take? What's the crucible or the environment that we need to step into to actually become more, to be more fully alive, to live lighter and freer and with fuller, fewer regrets? How is it that we actually begin to live a life that makes a greater difference and has a bigger impact, not only in our families and our relationships and with those that we're closest to, but in the world around us? If you have tried to plan anything at all in the last, I don't know, year or so that involves other people and getting other people to commit to come to something, whether it's a party or a dinner or an event or a wedding or even a funeral, it is impossible to nail people down and get a straight answer from them on when it will work for them and when you should do it and if they'll be, be attending. And if you've planned anything like that, you, it, it's maddening, right? Because we live in a world of the definite maybe. Like I might as long, and it really means like as long as I don't get a better offer from someone I'd rather be with, I'll probably come, right? Or people just don't wanna commit. And, and on the flip side, we kind of get it because we do the same thing. We don't want to lock ourselves into something that we can't get easily get out of. Like we, we don't wanna take options off the table, even if that option is, well, just staying home and watching Netflix again. Like I, I, I love the saying, you know, where people are like, you know, go big or go home. And I, I love the little like quip where it's like, well, you just underestimate my willingness to go home because I just would rather go away from you and go, I don't wanna go big, I do wanna go home. In fact, the defining characteristic, the, the main mantra of our culture seems to be, well, just do whatever you have to do, but keep your options open. And that definitely has its upside. The problem is what we're learning from science and psychology is that the more options we have, the more actual, actually paranoid we become about picking the wrong thing. And the more particular we are about what it, what it means to, to make the right choice, about what we prefer. I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but like I'm, you know, gonna be 50 in a couple years. Like I, my grandpa was World War II. Like, you know, it's going back a ways. Like, but my, my, I remember growing up, my grandpa drank Folgers coffee. I don't even know if people even, I know they still sell it at places, but I don't know if anybody still drinks that. And what's crazy is like, he was perfectly happy with that. Like he loved it. But today, 
There's like this infinite variety. Anybody know any coffee snobs? Like, you, you know, anybody? A coffee snob? Okay. There's an infinite variety of beans and blends and roasts. And, and, and there's all this, you know, all this, we're very particular about how it's prepared and what goes into it and the ratio of this and how many shots of that and what's on top. And, you know, oh, it's, it's supposed to be wet and it's not wet and it's supposed to be dry, but it's not, it's supposed to be like all this stuff. I mean, we all know people whose whole day is ruined. It's, it's off if they can't get the coffee that they like made just the way that they like it or or have you ever done that thing where you're trying to pick something to watch but you can't decide and you got every streaming service out there and you're just like how is there nothing to watch on like these 18 different streaming services that we pay for and you pull them all up and you're like watching you watch like 200 trailers and this person recommended that but I don't know it doesn't look that great and like Two hours later, you're just like, oh God, I'm so tired of watching, trying to decide. And you finally decide, and you're just like, just pick something, just pick something. And you say, okay, I'll just pick something. And you pick something, but now it's just too late, and you're just too tired. So you end up not even watching that thing, and you just put on the, an episode of the show that you've watched like 50,000 times before already, and you end up just kind of falling asleep in the middle of it because you've watched it 50,000 times already. And, and the whole thing is just completely unsatisfying. You're just like, oh, why did he even go through that? The, the, the thing that occurred to me, though, is that that's actually a kind of a picture, I think, of what happens to us in life, right? Is that it's so easy for us, and it's fine when it comes to streaming and picking something to watch, but it's easy for us to kind of get stuck in this sort of infinite browsing mode where, where we spend our lives kind of sampling and scrolling and tasting and trying things, and, and we don't want to really miss out on anything or anyone, but we also don't want to be tied down to any place or any sense of, of, of people. And, and I, honestly, it's not a cynical or a critical thing. I'm not, I'm not feeling that way, I, because we come by it naturally. Like, humanity has always tended towards being very non-committal, but it feels like in our current culture, like, we've sort of upped the ante, like, we've taken it to the next level. Because the prevailing wisdom, like if you just kind of look around the world, it kind of tells us that the world is changing and shifting so rapidly that we shouldn't get too sentimental about anything, that we should be cynical about everything, that we should learn to keep our distance, that we shouldn't get too attached, that we should be coldly efficient, that we don't take anything too seriously. And then also we really shouldn't be surprised when nobody else takes it that seriously either. And so as a result... I've experienced this, and maybe you have too. We, we end up kind of living life with this sort of schizophrenic approach to our faith and our relationships where we, we want to explore the world and have big adventures and be completely spontaneous, but we also want to go deep with people and live in the same neighborhood for years with our best friends. And, and we don't want any attachments slowing us down, but we also want to live a life that's dependable and reliable and consistent and surround ourselves with people that we can depend on and rely on as well and people who can count on us ultimately though like what we you look around like we're learning to be skeptical of anyone or anything or any place that asks or requires or demands or invites us to make a commitment of any kind but the crazy thing about that though is that most of the heroes that we hold up over time they didn't do things that way most of the people that we like look at their life and we, we admire, respect who they are and the life that they built, most of them made long-term commitments to particular places and communities. Most of them made long-term commitments to particular causes and, and crafts, to particular institutions and people. And maybe the strangest of all of that is that we admire them for doing it. We just don't 
We just don't want to do that. And so the question that sort of lingers over our life and over so many people is like, how do we get what they got without doing what they did? Because we don't really want to do that. And that, that's a tension that we've always struggled with in our life, like wanting a shortcut. That's a, that's a tension that humans have always dealt with. In fact, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, part of what prompted the apostle Paul to write this verse, this truth, is this idea. So he says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Meaning he's like, you can't short circuit life. There, there's no shortcut. He says, you will always harvest what you plant. There, there's no shortcut, shortcut to anywhere worth going. That you will always, always, always harvest what you plant in your life. Which is why I think so oftentimes in our lives and our relationships and even our faith, that they can end up feeling shallow and unsettled. Like they're a mile wide, but they're just an inch deep. Because in the end, when we're afraid to choose the wrong thing, we end up just sort of kind of sampling everything and don't really commit to anything. And we ultimately don't really find all that much fulfillment in any of it. So there's a moment in the story of the people of God in the Old Testament where they were really, really struggling to step into the future that God had for them. And there was so much uncertainty sort of swirling around their families and their community and their nation there, there were these huge obstacles spiritually and emotionally for them. And there was all this chaos that they had to deal with and all this stuff that they were having to overcome. And, and then on top of that, they had come to this place where there was this giant river between them and where God was trying to lead them. And that river was this like perfect physical representation of the, the, the chasm, the, the, the distance between where God was trying to lead, where they were and where God was trying to lead them, where they wanted to go. And so they were really hesitant about doing what needed to be done in order to get there. And so there's this conversation where, where Joshua, the leader, and, and some of the people, and the people that were speaking for God and the stuff that God wants to do, that, that they began to talk about what's necessary in order for them to move from where they are and begin to, and to get where God was leading them. And so it's found in Joshua chapter three. I wanna read you part of the story because I think it will help crystallize where we're gonna go this month in this series. So in Joshua chapter three, Beginning with verse one, it says, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites, they, shed, they set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving the orders to the people that when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. So Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. And now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and will stand in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So, a little backstory on this moment. For 400 years leading up to this particular story, Israel had been enslaved 
in Egypt, oppressed completely in slavery, and they were crying out to God. And so God sends Moses, who you might have heard of, regardless of what your church background is. God sends Moses, and he leads them out of slavery and towards freedom. And along the way of that journey, God did some incredible things through Moses, performed all these miracles to set them free. And then once they moved out into the desert, he parted the Red Sea, and they walked through, and as you know, Pharaoh and all of the soldiers from Egypt were pursuing them. They were all drowned in the sea. And, and, but now Moses, their incredible leader, the one who led them out of slavery, the one who all this stuff happened, Moses is dead. And, and so Joshua finds himself in a position that he never thought that he'd ever be in. He's now the leader and he's completely overwhelmed and completely uncomfortable And I think sometimes we get confused, right? Because we think because God is loving and compassionate, we think because he's a God of comfort that he'll never do anything to make us uncomfortable. But what I want you to know is when you begin to read the scriptures and you begin to read the stories, like nothing could actually be further from the truth. Because what I can tell you is that what, you know, regardless of what 2022 holds for you, I can tell you with certainty is that Jesus wants to disrupt the status quo in your life and in your faith this year. That, that he does not want you to transition from this year into this new year and everything just remain the same as it's all, always been. That he's going to move into different areas regardless of how great or how chaotic it was and he wants to disrupt the status quo because he has somewhere that he wants to take you. In fact, wherever you might be comfortable, wherever you don't feel any tension in your life, where you're just like, oh gosh, I got, I got my arms around that, like that's feeling good, like that's, that area, I just don't even have to worry about, it's on autopilot, I can tell you, you are not growing in that area. Whatever arena it is, whether it's your relationship, whether it's your marriage, whether you're a parent, your finances, whether it's the level of generosity in your life, your selflessness, serving, your physical health, your faith, your leadership, whether it's your career or your business, if you are comfortable, if you got it managed, if you got it handled, you are not growing. If you're not, if you don't have any tension. See, and the, the problem with Joshua was that in this, stepping into this moment is that he wasn't just like, he, he wasn't ready. Like he was just Moses' assistant. He wasn't the commander of the armies. He wasn't the co-leader with Moses. He wasn't the vice president the president's dead, so now he gets elevated. No, he was just like, he got Moses' coffee. Like, he carried his luggage. He was just the assistant. And everybody knew that God was with Moses. They'd seen it. They'd seen the miracles. They'd seen all the stuff that had happened. But now everybody, including Joshua, is really, really, really unsure if God is going to be with him the way that he was with Moses. And so if you go back and read Joshua chapter 1, It begins with God saying over and over and over again, don't be afraid, do not be afraid, do not fear, don't be afraid. And the reason why God had to keep saying that is because they were all so afraid. Have you ever felt like you were in over your head? Have you ever looked at your life? You ever looked at where you're going? You ever looked at this thing that you really wanna do? You ever found yourself in a position where you've been given this authority or this responsibility and you're just like, man, I am over my skis. Like I am not, this is not, comfortable. Have you ever looked at the life that that you long for or the place that God is calling you to or you feel like God might be leading you to and then you look at yourself and you look at your story and you're just like I don't know God like do you do you you sure you got the right guy you sure you got the you know you sure you know you know you know what you're doing because I don't know if you know 
who I am or where I came from or what I'm about, but this is not exactly comfortable for me. And if you've ever experienced that, you're in really good company because that's every single person that God has ever used throughout history. That's every single person in every single story in the scriptures has felt that, has had that moment. See, if the plans that you're making for your life this year, if they don't scare you a little bit, if they don't feel too big for you, they're just too small. Like if you don't feel like in some area of your life or faith, like God, if you don't come through, this ain't gonna happen. Like if you don't help me, if you don't make up the ground, if you don't make up the distance, it's just not gonna happen. Like if all the plans you make are like, I think if I just buckled down a little bit, if we tighten the belt, if we got a little more disciplined over here, if all of the plans you feel like you could, you could really, it might take a little stretching, but you could do it, it's, your, it's too small. Your plans are too small. God wants to take you somewhere bigger. And so in verse three, we read it again. It says this, the, the, the leaders say to all the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and you see the priests who are carrying it and you see them begin to move out from, from there, like move out from your positions and follow them. And when I read that, I thought, man, that's like really obvious advice, right? Because they're basically going, all right, guys, Look, you know that thing over there that like symbolizes that's, that's like the presence of God with us? Like that's the physical representation that God is with us, that ark? Like when you see that move, that means God is moving and you should follow it. Like that seems like really obvious. Like, hey, God's moving, you should follow him. But the reason why they had to tell them that, the reason why they had to tell them to move forward, right, is because to, in order to do that, they were gonna have to pack up and move from where they are. They were gonna have to leave behind that chapter that they were in and cross this river and go to where God was leading them. And they had been through some stuff, but they had finally sort of found a pretty good rhythm in their lives and a, a pretty good flow with God. And things were, they were almost, they weren't quite there, but they were almost to the place that God had promised them. And, and things are pretty good. And so they have this giant, massive camp set up on the edge of the Jordan River. They were... They were good. But see, every time we're tempted to settle where we are, God will come and begin to press on you, to uproot you, to move you forward. And so the leaders tell them, get up, it's time to go, because God is going to be moving forward. And if you don't follow him, you're going to just get stuck here. You're going to be left behind. And in verse 4, it says, then you'll know which way to go. You'll actually see them leading since you've never been this way. See, I, I think God actually wants to take you somewhere that you've never been. See, when you follow Jesus, he will take you places that you could never go on your own, that you will become someone you could never be without him. I, I think sometimes we'd rather go a way that's familiar to us than go where God is leading us. But what you see in the scriptures is that God is constantly moving. And when he's moving, he's moving us. And he's constantly disrupting our comfort and our flow and our security. And he's constantly bringing us to these moments and these intersections where we have to decide if we're gonna stay on the path that we know or we're gonna trust him and follow him. And he does it because he knows where he wants to take us is so much bigger and so much better than where we are coming from, no matter how great that was. And so in verse five, it says that Joshua tells the people, he says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do amazing things among you. And I love that. 
I love it because God is going, look, you guys need to buckle up because I'm about to do something incredible right in front of you and with you and for you. And by the way, this has always been God's MO. He loves absolutely blowing our minds. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, the apostle Paul writes these words and he's quoting a verse from Isaiah and he says this, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared, what God wants to do for those who love him. That, that you can't see it, that you can't hear it, that you can't even imagine it or think it, that God wants what God wants to do in your life and through your life and for your life. And we love the amazing things part. Like, that, what, a, what an incredible promise. Like, consecrate yourselves because tomorrow God's gonna do amazing things. Like, we love that amazing things part. But that consecrate yourselves part is a little bit, that, that dedicate yourselves part is not our favorite. Like, that's not all that exciting. But, but notice what he says. He, he, there's an order. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow God's gonna do amazing things. See, one comes before the other. Like we, we, we think like, God, okay, if you just show up and if you would just blow my mind, like especially if like you could tell me that it's gonna be tomorrow so I could be ready. Like, okay. And, and then you come and you do these amazing things and I'm like, whoa, you are God. You are real. Okay, I'm gonna give you my life. Like I, now I'm gonna really go all in. Now I'm gonna really lean into this. Like if you would just do that, God, that's what we would do. And God's like, ah, that's not really how it works. Like what I want you to do is begin to trust me that for you to take your life and place it in my hands. And when you begin to do that and lean into me, when you begin to dedicate yourself and commit your life and yourself to me, then I will begin to do amazing things in your life. I also, I know when we hear the words like consecrate yourselves, what many of us hear is God saying, look, I'm sick of you people. <laughs> Clean up your act. Get yourselves together. Put on your suit, get your Sunday best because tomorrow I'm showing up. God's coming to town tomorrow. Get things presentable. Put your house in order. Get it all cleaned up because otherwise I'm not gonna show up. But that's not really, really what he's saying at all. When he talks about consecrate yourselves, he's really talking about preparation. He's saying, look, there's, there's a place that I wanna take you, but you're not ready to go there yet. See, God, God will never take you somewhere tomorrow that you haven't prepared for today. And the way that you prepare, the way that we get ready is actually begin to choose, dedicate, is putting our life and ourself and all of us and everything that we have and all that, that we could be and placing it in his hands. So often we like imagine like, like making a difference, this incredible life that we live, that, that it's this climactic movie moment where we are making the speech and we're waving the sword and, you know, we're you know, riding the, you know, the horse in front of the, the crowd, you know, the soldiers going, freedom, they may take our lives, but they will never, like we imagine it's like that and we're leading a march and it's this epic moment. But in reality, like a life of depth and impact, it, it actually looks like someone who's on achy knees tending the same garden day after day after day. It's that day after day dedication that makes that big climactic moment actually possible. We love the moment when David slays Goliath. We don't really like like the thousands of times that he was out by himself tending sheep, practicing with that sling and that rock. So in other words, fulfillment a lot of times looks like commitment. It, it looks like you dedicating yourself 
going all in, moving all your chips, stop hedging your bets. That word consecrate, it means to set apart for a sacred purpose. See, the reason all of this matters is so often like, no matter what we believe about God, we get in this place where we're like, okay, God, if you're real, I just want you to like change my life. Like change, change this. I got this thing going, this thing I can't seem to stop or this thing I can't fix, this thing I can't figure out. Could you just show up and change it? Could you change all those other people? I just need you to change all of this. We want God to just show up and do these amazing things in our lives. But the problem is that our lives are connected to us. And if God changed our life without actually changing us, we would just immediately go and then wreck our life again. See, but God actually changes our lives by changing us. See, what I want you to know this morning is that no matter who you are, no matter what your story has been, no matter what your faith journey has been like, no matter what you believe about God, that he's actually inviting you into relationship with himself, that he's inviting you into the purposes and the plans that he has for you, that he wants to take you somewhere that will blow your mind. I, I love that Joshua didn't come out in this massive crowd and he's like, all right, consecrate yourselves today because tomorrow God's gonna do amazing things, except you, Randy. You are so screwed up. Doesn't matter what you do. God's not gonna do anything amazing with you. Right? Sometimes we act like that. Like our past, our story, our life, it's just too chaotic, it's too crazy, it's too messy. God can never do anything with it. But it says to this massive crowd who are all over the place in their faith and life, that God is inviting you to himself. See, there's a reason why this idea keeps coming up over and over and over again in the scriptures. This idea of dedicating or consecrating or committing ourselves or giving ourselves fully to God. And I think it's as simple as understanding the word dedicate. Like it actually has two meanings. So to dedicate something means to make something holy, right? Like you de- we dedicate this memorial. It's sacred now. This is, like, this is a specific, important, official moment where this thing is now sacred. Like we dedicated that. It, it, but it also means to just simply stick to it, to not give up, to stay at something long enough, right? That, that we're dedicated to a project or a particular discipline in our life. And I don't think that it's a coincidence that the word has those two meanings. See, I think we're actually doing something really, really holy, really beautiful, really spiritual when we choose to commit ourselves. That, that whatever holiness means, that part of the meaning is that it is the consistent carrying out of your commitments. And I know that we like bristle at that idea because we want it to be this real ethereal, spiritual thing that is out there and we just we don't really want it to demand anything of us. I know it cuts against the grains of so much of what we feel and so much of what we see and, and experience in the world and the culture around us. And even personally, right? We've all been burned. We've all dedicated ourselves to something, to a particular cause or a particular place We've all committed ourselves only to have the rug sort of ripped out from underneath us. We've all made commitments only to find out like, oh, it was a one-way commitment. Like I committed, but there was no commitment on the other side. Like you wanted me to go all in, but you were not all in with me. 
But, but the answer to that situation isn't a life that, that's spent in that infinite browser mode where we just sort of hold back and never really, you know, go deep in anything. It's not abandoning commitment or dedication altogether because your soul wasn't made for a life that's a mile wide and an inch deep. It was made for a rich, deep, beautiful life. And Jesus actually said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other details, all this other stuff that you spend your life trying to figure out and control and pull together, all of that stuff will fall into place. I love how it reads in the message translation. It reads this way. Steep your life in God's reality, in God's initiative, in God's provisions. Don't worry about missing out and you'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met, that God will take care of you. In other words, what he's saying is prioritize Jesus above everything else and everything else will begin to fall into place. It's not a promise that life always works out. It's not a promise that if you follow Jesus, life gets easier. It is this promise that when you begin to place your life in his hands, that your life becomes first and primarily his project and not your project. And he's way better at building your life than you are. Everything you're striving for, everything you long for, it's found in Jesus. Steep your life in his life. And honestly, that sounds a lot like consecrate yourself, dedicate yourself, give yourself fully to him. There's one other thing that I want you to see before we finish. If you look again at verses 12 to 15, it says this. It says, now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand in a heap. And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. And the Jordan was at flood stage all during harvest. So this seems like an innocuous sort of non-detail. But there are no non-details in these stories. And the reason why this part of the story matters is because this is not what they were expecting. Many of these people were there during the exodus. And those who were not there, their parents and grandparents were there and they had heard the stories of Moses and the Exodus and the deliverance. They had heard all of the stories about the miracles. They knew by, hand, like by heart the details of the story about how when they had reached the Red Sea that it looked like that they had nowhere to go and their enemies were bearing down on them and they had no options, that Moses stepped to the shore of the Red Sea and he stretched out his arms and he stretched out his staff and God miraculously parted the waters and they were able to step into between the water and walk across the Red Sea on dry land and nobody got wet. But here, God's changing the game on them. Here, God's like, all right, we're gonna go a different plan. I'm still gonna do something really amazing, but it's gonna be a little bit different. Here he's like, okay, so this time you gotta go first. This time you're gonna step into the water and then I'll do my part. This time 
you're gonna get dirty and wet, but I'm still gonna do something that you couldn't do. See, the truth is, is that there are things about life and things about faith and things God wants to do in you that you cannot do for yourself. But there are also things that God wants you to do and is inviting you to do that he will not do for you. And he's going, you step into the water and then I'll take it from there. But you're gonna have to get some mud on your toes. Have you ever argued with God about how, things are, like how he's supposed to be doing things in your life? Like I've spent the last couple of years kind of at different moments going, God, I don't know what you got going on there. Like, are you, are you paying attention? Are you... you, you you know what's happening. You see people doing dumb stuff. I don't, know if you're, I don't know if you know this. We're trying to plan a church. Maybe you could help us out. I don't know if you know this, God, but this is how it works. You part the waters first, and then we walk through. And God's like, nah, how about this time? You step into the water, and then I'll go. Then I'll part it. Isn't God so frustrating that way that he just insists on being God and doing things his way? I, I love what, what Augustine said. He said, without God, we cannot, but without us, God will not. And he was saying to all the people there, like you step into the water and I'll do it. You can't, you can't part the water. I have to do that. But until you step into the water, I'm not gonna do it. See, there's no pointless details, as I said a second ago in these stories. It tells us that the, the river was at flood stage. And I don't know if you've ever been around a river at flood stage. It means the water is flowing really, really fast. It means that the water is really unpredictable. It means that they are standing at the edge of a raging, scary river. It means that the water is roaring downstream and it's rushing by. And if you can't feel the tension, it's because you've never been like, oh, I'm going to swim across this crazy river. Right? It means that there's stuff that's not normally floating in the river is floating in the river. See, the reality is the faith that brought you to today, it will not be the faith that carries you in tomorrow into tomorrow. That there is a place that God is wanting to take you in your life, but the faith that got you here will not take you there. The dedication and the commitment and your faith and your, the, the way that you have given yourself to God that got you here, it will not get you there. And some of us are going to step into moments that feel like we're standing on the shore of this crazy out of control, rushing river that this obstacle is too big for us. We can't cross it. And maybe, maybe you even feel like you have some, some places and some moments in your life that are like that right now. And you have no idea how you're gonna get from where you are to where you wanna go and where you're supposed to go. And so you're just like, I don't know if this, is, this is, feels uncrossable. But I want you to know that God is wanting to lead you to a place where he's going, trust me, if you will trust me and step into the, if you'll take a step in the direction that I'm leading you, you can watch what I will do. Consecrate yourself, dedicate yourself, commit yourself, give your life to me because God wants to do some amazing things in your life this year. And by the way, you read the story, the guys, as soon as they stepped into the water and their toes touched the water, Water did what it always does, right? It piled up in a heap because we've, always, we've all seen water pile up in a heap. The water that's rushing downstream stops. And this million plus people 
this massive nation crosses this raging river that they could have never made it around. I wonder what it is that God wants to do in your life. What are the amazing things God wants to do in your family and in your faith? Because I can tell you, he wants to do amazing things in your life. But he will not force you into the water. He'll not come behind you and be like, oh, whoops, there you go. Yay, you trust me. No, you have to actually step and go, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing. Maybe I'm going to die. Maybe this is going to work. Maybe it's not. Maybe this is where I'm supposed to go. I don't know. But it feels like in order for me to move forward, I have to step into this mess, this chaos, this unpredictability. But I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to lean into you, and I'm going to give you my faith, and I'm going to consecrate, dedicate, I'm going to prepare myself for whatever's coming on the other side. By the way, if you keep reading in the book of Joshua, and then as soon as they get to the other side, what was waiting for them in the very next chapter is a city called Jericho. They come to a city called Jericho and the story of the people of God taking that territory, the people of Israel conquering the city of Jericho is one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. They had no idea what they were gonna be facing when they got across the river, but God knew. And he knew that there was no way they were going to be able to do that if they didn't first do this. There was no way they were going to trust him to blow some trumpets, trumpets and see some walls fall down if they were not willing to step into a raging river and watch him do what nobody else could do. So you can't see what God wants to do, but he's in your future and he knows where he's leading you. And he knows the battles you're going to face and he knows the things he has for you to do. And so he's inviting you to trust him. And so maybe you're here and you're thinking, all right, okay. Let's do this. I'm ready. Like whatever that commitment looks like, I'm not even sure. What does it look like to even like prioritize Jesus above everything else? Like I, what does it look like to, to dedicate myself to get, like what does it look like to stop holding back and really commit? And, and honestly, I can't wait to tell you, but we're out of time today. And so you're going to have to come back next week and the week after and the week after and the week after because it's a five-week month. But if there was one thing that I could tell you, if there is one simple step that I want to invite you, encourage you to take, it's what we watched a little while ago with Moses talk about. We underestimate the power that God will work in our lives when we make reading the scriptures a regular habit in our life. And so um, at all of our campuses, and certainly here, we're just starting this initiative called Read Every Day. It's something we do every January, just inviting people to make a regular habit in their life of reading the scriptures because God wants to speak to you and the primary way that he will speak to you in your life is through the scriptures. And God wants to give you wisdom and direction. And the primary way that he will give you wisdom and direction for your life is through the scriptures. And so Pastor Moses talked about 
thebibleinayear.com or whatever, and, um, and you can download the app there, and it's a great resource, and it's a great site. They also have that same reading plan, um, but we're going to use the, the Version Bible app. So you can download the Bible in a year. You can use that app. It's a fantastic app. There's all kinds of resources there. Um, but we have had an ongoing sort of group um, reading the scriptures together through the Version app, and we would love for you to join us reading that. It's about a 15-minute-a-day commitment, this reading plan. It's going to take us the entire year to get through it. Um, we're not going to read the entire Bible, uh, but we are going to read every single day. And so um, the link is going to be posted. If you want to join the group, you can do that through the Version app, download that app. Uh, that link will be posted at our Facebook page. It's already actually in our Instagram bio. If you want to go to our Instagram uh, account, you can click the link and go join the group. I would love for you to read the scriptures with us this year. It will absolutely change, change your life. Let's pray together.